podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined by Carol Matchett. How are you, sir? Delighted to be entirely wrong. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so my prediction of 3-1, your prediction of 5-2, both drastically wrong. Liverpool won, Manchester City nil. Obviously you weren't on Raw yesterday, so let's have your thoughts then. What did you make of the game? What did you make of Liverpool's more defensive approach to the game? And do you think that's something that maybe we can lean into moving forward to make ourselves just much tougher to beat and rely on people like Mohamed Salah and Darwin Nunes and Bobby Firmino to win us games at the other end? Uh, I think it was an absolute necessity for this match and we did speak about you know things that we would have to improve and job number one was to be an awful lot more solid and difficult to get past one-on-ones and all that kind of stuff so I'm not actually surprised at all the way the game went other than when we started the match we were very very fiery and high upfield and trying to challenge pretty high up uh, obviously it didn't last too long but you'd expect that they would have I think I said yesterday, uh, sorry, before before the match, like two-thirds possession, 60-65% possession, which, as it transpired, was actually on the low side. So it's um, definitely the performance which was required if we were to get to get a result. I Honestly, I didn't expect in my wildest dreams that it would be such improved to keep a clean sheet. I thought even if we you know, really did well in terms of the midfield and the line, uh, being a bit closer to the defence and tracking runners and all that sort of stuff, you'd still imagine that City would score at some point. So to actually keep a clean sheet and to keep them, I would say, um, restricted to, what, three half-decent openings probably across the course of the game, I thought was really, really good. Like Everyone was so, so on it, which was 100% necessary and always is against City, but it was just such a turnaround in energy and attitude and aggression and all these things which have just been missing for so many matches this season. It was very, very nice to see. Um, I don't think that that's a, a viable approach to take all the time. We're too good for that, and we've got too many players who want to be on the ball too much for that, to be honest. So it's fine in a game where you know you acknowledge that you are the lesser side in terms of form and results going into the match, but in most Premier League fixtures we play, that's not going to be us. And I think this weekend is you know probably a good example of that. So, or sorry, this midweek that we're actually playing. Um, so I would expect that you know similar approach, similar system, similar positional play on and off the ball, but higher upfield and with more of the ball. Yeah, I agree. I think I think we've just set ourselves a blueprint for what we should be off the ball, um, which is to be more compact, to drop into more of a deeper block, a deep block. There's a couple of lovely um, 
clips and pictures going around of City in possession. And our formation is absolutely spot on. Everybody is exactly where they should be. Everybody's doing exactly what they should be doing. There's nobody freelancing. There's nobody not doing their job. Everybody is doing what they've been told to go and do. And we can absolutely marry that to playing with more purpose and control with the ball. Um, I, I just think for now, while we do have some issues with individual form and whatever else, the most important thing for us is going to be keeping clean sheets. If we keep clean sheets, we have lads that will win us games. And we have lots of them. So if we can be as diligent as we were off the ball and in our defensive work and as aggressive and intense as we were and do the fundamentals as well as we do, as we did, like that's definitely something that we can build from. That's a base to build from. Like I was watching that game yesterday and the first thing that hit me was it was very... Diego Simeone-esque from Jurgen Klopp in the way the team set up and the way they approached the game. That kind of aggressive first 15 and then sitting back into that more compact defensive shape. But everything was very simplified as well. Like there was, We didn't try and do anything too clever. I've seen people say it was a Jurgen Klopp masterpiece and not necessarily disagreeing, but he simplified the game for our team. And that's not a bad thing. Alex Ferguson won probably eight of his 13 league titles at United playing a very simple 4-4-2 that defended in a deep block and then attacked in numbers. And it was hugely successful. Arsene Wenger's Arsenal played a little bit more of a complex 4-4-2 with the interchanges of Burkamp, Henri, and Bobby Perez. But again, that type of thing we can implement into our game once, say, Diaz is back playing on the left, looking to cut in field. But they defended in a block with four and four, and it they were incredible. We've always talked about how football happens in cycles. And there's a reason that if you look through the last... 60 years of the game, the 4-4-2 is one of the preeminent shapes that teams use. I mean, if you look at Real Madrid in recent years, in bigger games, it's very much a 4-4-2. Like, it might line up as a 4-3-3, but Valverde drops back into midfield, and Modric just cheats out to the left a little bit, plays a narrow left side, but cheats out a little bit, and then Vinicius goes into a 2 with um, Karim Benzema. That's how they beat us in the Champions League final. It's what they did to Barcelona last night. These simplified formations, getting back to basics, doing the fundamentals and making yourself really hard to beat and then taking advantage of the match winners you have in your team, it's a tried and tested formula. And I I thought it was brilliant from Klopp, whereas I thought Pep, once again, just tried to get a little bit too clever and overcomplicated things and kind of took away some of his own best weapons by having Foden play quite a bit off James Milner and having Canseo having to do everything down the right wing by himself. 
Yeah, I was I was pretty surprised to be honest that City weren't a lot more aggressive and a lot more, uh, well, a lot less respectful. To be perfectly honest, they should have, from from a, a neutral perspective, let's say, come out and just tried to absolutely wipe the floor was it in the exact same way they have done with most other teams um, this season. I think if they'd have just been aggressive and get the Bruyne, <coughs> excuse me, get the Bruyne very very central, um, he was too far into the channels for for quite a lot of it. Yeah, it would have been very simple for them to overload us in the centre of the midfield. I think um, that's that's simple truth of the thing. Um, I think forcing Silver into getting through a huge, huge, huge amount of work, and whatever you think about him as a an opponent, there's no doubt that he's an unbelievable player in terms of getting through the work rate for the team and helping construct things and everything else. But I think if he his position in particular was a little bit more focused yesterday. It's something that would have given us a lot more trouble than he did in the final third. Um, so I'm pretty glad, obviously, the way it panned out. I think that there was a couple of really big calls that Klopp got right in terms of the team selection as well. Because um, limited as though we were, it only takes, like let's say, one player coming in to change two or three roles at the moment. Uh, because everybody obviously has to nudge to the side or play a slightly different position or whatever it is. So I'm glad we kept the same shape absolutely did simplify I think a few of the, the players that we, we had spoken about and scouted before the match absolutely benefited from that I think Harvey Elliott put in an unbelievable shift but doing the exact things that we had spoken about it's it's a lot narrower it's not quite as much ground to cover he's able to double up um, with his fullback he's able to play out quickly uh, in transitional play but it's over a, quite a different period of pitch than it is when he's right side of a three and especially when we tried to use him in double pivot a couple of times which um, but like these things were really, really crucial in helping us maintain that defensive solidity. It was repetition almost of, of the same positions and the same closing down and the same shifting across and everything else. It wasn't too much of a, I don't know how to, how to not put it as a, like you just said, a tactical masterpiece. It wasn't really that everyone had 17 different roles that they had to do on and off the ball. This was very, very much about this is the position you need to be and move across as a unit. And mm. I think that that was the key thing. Everybody worked in tandem. Everybody worked at the exact moment they needed to. There were a couple of obviously tired moments, second half, let's say, but people filled in really, really well. Um, the subs who came on, I think, were at good times and they did, again, very simple roles very, very well. Maybe one or two exceptions in, in the very well part, but um, overall, I think that this was an absolutely determined team performance and it was 100% necessary mm. there was no other way we were getting a result other than being near perfect in defence no. and then like you say we do have one or two players who can make bits happen and it was a really exciting game I have to say this was the you know take away the fact that it's what have been the top two I think in terms of actual match excitement this was probably the most uncertain one uh, in terms of the outcome throughout most of the game I thought yeah, I, I'd agree with everything you said. I mean, there's that age-old defensive drill that coaches used to do back in the 60s and 70s where they'd tie a rope around the defenders and they'd have them all move in the one direction so that they all, you know, that defending on a string thing, basketball coaches used to do it as well. So everybody's moving in lockstep. If one person doesn't move, the whole thing fails. And like you said, when when Robble had to step forward, Virgil would shift. Joe would shift, Milner would shift, and Harvey would drop. And you still had your solidity of your back four. 
it was just moved around and then it would very simply be a transition back into what you were doing previously. As you said as well, this wasn't players having to perform multiple roles. Everybody seemed to have almost a very specific box in which they were to play in. And they were so, so dedicated to making sure that they won their battles in that box that I, I I think everybody played well. I think even the subs that came on played really, really well. Like, we'll talk about the two big decisions he made, but Henderson came on and played within his box, and any time he kind of ventured to the edge of it, you were seeing Mo, Thiago, Milner, Virgil, roar at him to get back in and do his job. And he was switched on to it. And he was diligently getting back into position and not chasing the ball aimlessly or getting drawn to things he shouldn't be getting drawn to. Everybody just seemed so switched in and focused. The two big decisions he made, one of them was dropping the captain. And that was a necessity because you couldn't have a passenger in this game and he has been a passenger all season. You needed players that would be locked in defensively. And the second was going with that right side. So we obviously heard, was it late Thursday or late late Friday, that Ibu was a doubt. And then it became, well, what's he going to do here? He's got three options, really. He can go Milner right back, Gomez centre-back, and, you know, Virgil Robbo. Or he can go Gomez right back, Nat Phillips centre-back, Virgil Robbo. Or he could go Gomez right back, Fabinho centre-back, Virgil Robbo, and play Henderson in central midfield. None of them were in any way appealing. From a defensive point of view, from a purely back four point of view, Gomez, Fabinho, Virgil, and... Robbo was by far the most appealing of them, but it created a weakness in midfield. In the end, he went with Milner. And Carl, credit where it's due, that is the best performance James Milner has put in in a Liverpool shirt since the 1890s. <laughs> I wondered what you meant to say on Robbo. I thought he was... Uh, I haven't listened to I thought he was absolutely excellent from minute one to minute 99 or however long the game went. I thought he was really controlled in in the first half he got forward into some into some nice positions but he never overcommitted he never allowed foden to get too much of a run at him so even he he when foden was dropping off him he wasn't following him aimlessly he was holding his position calling harvey back and harvey was picking him up when foden played right up on top of him he was getting really physical with him, leaning into him, putting that bit of, you know, concrete that he carries around in his arse right into him. And he snapped into his tackles. He won his couple of headers. He shoved a few people and let them know he was about. And <clears throat> I thought he was really, really good. And credit to him. Like, this is, this in no way negates the last few years worth of performances, but on the day when called in to do a job, he did it and was really, really good. It was an 8 out of 10 performance, no matter what way you look at it. And it was exactly what we needed in that position 
on that day. I think I would apply that to Robertson as well, given the season that he's had so far. Um, yes. I think both of them were. Yes. You know what yes, I love I do, about I Robert I as soon as I saw it, about 60 seconds into the game, and he pushes someone and starts roaring at it. Yes. yes. Exactly that. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what we were talking about. Yeah. yeah. And it yeah. kind of sets the tone. It sets the tone. The crowd see it. They get into it. So the crowd are feeding off the players. Then the players are feeding off the crowd. And that's what Jurgen Klopp football has been for us, is the players start fast, the crowd gets into it, the players draw on that energy, and it keeps them going. It's why we're garbage when there's no fans. It's why we were so bad in the year with no fans. It's why City are great with no fans, because their football is surgical and boring and kind of premeditated cities you can imagine that if you walked into pep's office the day before a game he's basically got whiteboards all around and every single attack that city are going to do is drawn out and the players just have the whole thing memorized so it's almost like they're acting out a play whereas for us it's more improvised you know, it's like a scriptless show, whereas with them, everything's really detailed and orientated and whatever else. And, yeah, Klopp just seems to have Pep's number a little bit at the minute. That's the last three games we've played them. We've beat them all three times. Yeah, um, I think that the, the setup, coaches, Klopp, everybody really involved um, was necessarily uh, tempered, I think. Um, like you say, everything very, very diligent and determined and disciplined and all the things that were absolutely needed. I think that it was very, very notable. The back four was actually a back four for a lot of the game rather than pushing up both fullbacks very, very high or into midfield or anything like that. We we had a line, basically, which was there for much of the game. And, I mean, again, I say Javier, I thought it was he got through so much work yesterday. Um, Milner got a lot more protection than Trent has done. I've already seen, you know, loads of snidey comments and all the rest of it about oh Trent doesn't start Liverpool keep out Haaland blah 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 that nonsense mm-hmm. absolute rubbish this is a completely different setup completely different way of protecting that yeah. area of the pitch completely different way of even having the centre midfield um, go just on the inside Trent has not had any of this this is a, a different way of playing at all never so. never N- never in Trent's time playing at Liverpool has he had that level and, and it's quite possible that we don't have even whether and, it's Milner or, or, or Trent again for the next few games not exactly the same way again we'll have to see how we can progress that this was this was a, a necessary thing for this game and it worked perfectly that's that's what we can say so well done I think we should give mention here to Joe you Gomez because he was like he was like that. That is vintage Joe Gomez. Title winning season. Yep. season Joe Gomez. A big big challenge for him like, is to do it again. The last and again time and again, we saw, obviously we know that, but exactly but to do it in exactly. the one game. And we again we said this about the last three games that he's had, and he's obviously had a little bit of a shaky start, and then he's gotten much much better as the game on. Mm. Uh, sorry, as the game went on, and obviously this one was at, in the center rather than. At fullback, but that's that's a really impressive mental shift as well because his last centre back game was Napoli, yeah. which was the biggest car crash of the season, Napoli. and not just on Gomez, but he particularly <laughs> had a, a dreadful half. The whole lot so of them, I, nothing. About yeah, he, he sort of dragged the level down on the day. Yeah, I mean, and look, the, 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 we, we've talked about three of them. We have to mention Verge as well. Uh, that was mm-hmm. that was Virgil. That's the guy that we have adored for the last four years. 
it was almost like, you know, he saw that someone else had bought a cyborg and thought, well, hang on, it's time I show everybody that I'm the superior model. And like I said to you before, and, and you, you've said this in pieces as well, when he's at his best, he elevates everybody around him. And when everybody else is also at their best, that defense becomes sensational. And Ali was on it. I thought the two boys in the central midfield had really good games, worked incredibly hard. Like I said, when Henderson came on, he just slotted in, did his job, didn't try and do anything stupid. Um, had that one shot that was maybe unadvisable, but you'd allow it. And you mentioned Harvey and how much work he got through, and the same needs to be said about Diogo Jota. Jesus wept. What did I say? Put him on Joe Canseo. Now, I didn't think Canseo would play right back. I thought he'd be left back. But he he just spent his day in the pocket of Diogo Jota. And then because Robbo was really on it as well, Jota was able to pass him on at times and then play off the back of him. So when we turned the ball over, Jota was able to just run into acres of space with only a kanji in front of him who... The poor fella, he had a bit of a, a bit of a mare, and, and when Darwin came on, he didn't really know what to do with him. But I, like I said, I, I thought everybody. I know Darwin no, mucked up uh, the three v one, and he did another one as well. But he yeah, caused exactly. chaos. He, he, he. I, I, I mean this to sound in the best way possible, right? And I know you don't like him, but there was a time when he caused fear in defenses when he was running with the ball. Remember Andy Carroll before we signed him. His biggest strength at Newcastle was not in the air, but it was when he was able to turn and run at people and they just bounced off him. I know you're not going to like that as a, as a comparison, but a couple of times... I don't like it at <laughs> that all. That is what he reminded me of. That's what I he don't like it at all. He just absolutely powered through them. You know who he reminded me of? Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Do you remember back in the 2012-13 season when we got really strongly linked to... Was it the summer of 2013? We got really strongly linked to Diego Costa, who was playing left wing for Atletico Madrid at the time, because they had Falcao and Adrian as their front two, and he was playing off the left. And he reminded me of that, like big, bustly, doesn't really seem to know what he's doing all the time, but he knows that the general direction of the goal is over there. And if he gets the ball, he is going over there with the ball. And if you get in his way, you're probably not going to end up looking too good. And he kind of reminded me of that. Now, the, 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 the not passing on the 3v1 is, is awful. But we won, so it's not unforgivable. Um, the one where he got through one-on-one, I, it, I thought it looked like he tried to lift the ball, like to be overly clever. 
and lift the ball over Ederson and have Ederson slide into him. I don't know that he was actually shooting on goal as he because he didn't seem to put anything in it. He just seemed to to lift it. So I I don't know. He was offside anyway, so it wouldn't have made a difference. But look, really good performance and a big confidence boost. And obviously we got Trent back as well. Came on right side of midfield, and having him back definitely helps because it's one less injury. Going into this West Ham game, we have no Diaz, no Matip, no Ox, no Naby, no Artur. Kanate's a doubt, but as we said before we went live, we don't expect him to play. But the only negative to come out of yesterday is Diogo Jota got injured. And there is a feeling that it is quite a serious hamstring injury that potentially is going to rule him out of the World Cup. That's a really horrible blow for a lad that's been so good the last couple of games. And with Jota out, or with, with, with Diaz also out, it's a big blow for us because that's our first choice left winger and our second choice left winger now ruled out. Yeah, problematic. Um, and not just the fact that they both obviously play him from the left-hand side, but in terms of our forwards in general, that's a significant reduction in availability to for Klopp to rotate and to change things off the bench and all that kind of stuff. If you think, basically, when we started the season, we had five for three positions, and we're now down to three for two, effectively, and even three for three if we've got Salah wide in some matches still. Um, I don't want to linger too much on on Man City, obviously, but one really, really good and important to see Salah through the middle. I think that that was 100% the right decision to make um, for this point anyway in this system, but I do still expect that we will see him right side some games because you can... You know, tactically, we want to do different things sometimes, obviously, for build-up play and if mm. we're going to have a lot more of the ball and so on and so forth. But really, really good to see him through the middle. Now it's just two from three, basically, who are going to start and one is obviously going to be sub. So Jota, a big, big loss. Um, expect that now that he's back in the squad and obviously if there's no ill effects to training, that's probably the role we're now going to see uh, Curtis Jones take up as well. Um, him and Carvalho obviously trying to fill that sort of left-sided role between them, I would imagine. Um, we'll see. Obviously, you can't really push too much on Jones because he's been out all season and it's one of those ones that comes and goes at the minute. So it's just, yeah. Exactly. And like that that kind of, that's also sort of an outlet yeah. role as well. You know, and like that, so that's going to be, that's those high-intensity sprints could be an issue. But can I throw you another name that, I think is made to play four four two. Now, he, I'm not saying as an every game starter. I'm not suggesting a resurgence in his Liverpool career. But Ox is back in training now. He's probably still a couple of weeks away from playing. <clears throat> but <clears throat> excuse me, Ox makes an awful lot of sense to me playing wide in a four four two far more than he ever did in a four three three or anything else, because that's just his game, and he could be an option there. Once he's back, not every game, obviously, but if you can rotate or he starts one, Carvalho starts one, Jones starts one, and Darwin can start one because we saw Darwin last season play left wing a number of times for Benfica when they played two through the middle. And yet playing him left and Bobby and Mo through the middle would mean we have no forward player to come off the bench. But he's at least an option there. So we can get through this without overloading any one player too many Yeah, I think that's going to be really role. important. It's going to have to be to rotate because as much as 
not just about the, the fitness side, but also most of these players are not first choice because of different consistency issues, whether that's fitness or just age and experience and you know, all the other things. But sharing it across three, four, maybe even five players, if you consider, let's say for the Champions League, the last two games that we've got left, Ox can't, obviously, because he's not in the squad, he's not registered, mm. but people like Bobby Clark, who played a bit of pre-season and uh, made his debut uh, competitively earlier on this season, I would imagine he's going to get a bench spot at some point because we've just not got enough players now to fill them otherwise. And they're certainly... Yeah, agreed. And he, and he came on against... Yeah. Did he come on yeah. against... So Paul? he's obviously able to play yeah. centrally or wide. He's also played, I, th- I believe, I spoke to um, Jack Lusby earlier on today, and he's played as a, a bit of a, a deeper nine as well for the 21s. So he's someone who can fill across the 4-4-2. You'd imagine both sides, if necessarily, certainly from the left. Uh, and obviously it allows potentially Cavalli or Jones or whoever it is to play off one forward if we need to at any point or only have one yeah. actual centre forward on the pitch. So a few of these players that we have, and they might only get named in the squad, let's say, twice, three times across the next half a dozen games or so, and maybe one or two seniors come back and take those spots. But if they do get a chance or a couple of chances, it splits up the minutes. You're, you're less reliant, obviously, on one person staying fit for 90 minutes game after game it re- uh, reduces the reliance on them to perform game after game as well because you might get one or two good impacts off the bench but if they start three games in a row much less likely that all of these players Ox, Jones, all the rest of them are actually able to put in the 7s, 8s and 9s out of 10s that you really need from one of those forward roles Exactly But if you get a 6 yeah. if they just give you a 6 at a 10 6 on the ball and 7 fine. off the ball and you're yeah. probably okay to carry one of those Exactly And you're Yeah, you're happy with that as long as it's not uh, a four on the ball and a two off the ball, you're fine. The other young option, who's younger than Bobby Clark, but is absolutely tearing it up in the academy, is Ben Doak, who's a natural winger, super direct, really quick, and making a, a big old name for himself. And I wonder if against, say, Derby, we might see him get 15 to 20 minutes. I mean, at this rate against Derby, we're going to be um, calling back Critchley to be the boss again for a team of uh, 16, 17 year olds. So yeah. <laughs> we'll deal That's with that exactly, one uh, yeah. nearer the time, but I do expect a few of them will get a run simply because you, you can't. And Costas can also and play you know left what? wing as well. So, you know, even, we, we do even have when options. it comes to a bit later on in games, you know Milner's going to get a go there as well, like to finish off the last 20 minutes of matches. Yeah, yeah. Milner going to go hard, but. Yeah. You, know, you can you can throw Milner there for ten minutes. You could throw Harvey there for ten minutes. You could throw Costas there for fifteen, twenty minutes, whatever. We have options. We have enough bodies to get through. As we said, if they give you six out of ten on the ball and they do their job off the ball and they give you that seven out of ten off the and ball, this is again, that's fine. This is again part because, of what you were saying before that this role is really, really important tactically, but it's simplified. It's simplified, so mm. it's a very important one on and off the ball exactly. transitions and protecting everything else, but it is a more routine one to do. You're not asking someone to go from, you know, a left side of forward into central midfield off the ball. And then like Trent has had to do it right back playing like three different roles. We're not at the moment as it is asking them to do all these things. So it is a bit more helpful. So we've got West Ham now on Wednesday. And they have had a fairly poor start to the season, like ourselves. Uh, They've done well in Europe, it must be said. Credit to them uh, in the Europa Conference League. um, They've played six games. They've won all six. They won both their qualifiers and they won 
all four of their group stage games. They're in the same group as the team formerly known as Steyr Bucharest, Silkborg of Denmark, and Anderlecht. And they've beaten Anderlecht in back-to-back games recently. They've beaten Silkborg. They've beaten Steyr. They're playing well there, but their league form has been concerning. So they lost to City on the opening day. And to be fair, they played quite well. They were a little bit unfortunate in that one. It just two moments of brilliance, one from Haaland, one from De Bruyne, and that was it, game over. Um, they lost to Forest, and again, they were a little bit unfortunate in that one. They had a goal disallowed. Then Brighton mopped the pitch with them, and Caicedo made Declan Rice look like a little boy. Uh, then they beat Villa, but everybody was beating Villa at the time. Um, they got a draw with Spurs, which was a good result. And they came from behind in that one and showed a lot of fight. They lost to Chelsea. Again, not a bad result, losing away to Chelsea. The defeat at Everton was a bad a bad day for them. They were poor. Everton were crap. Everton scored a good goal, but it was an awful game of football. But they bounced back with a win over Wolves, a win over Fulham. And they probably should have beaten Southampton this weekend. There was a couple of big decisions went against them. They dominated the game. They had a lot of shots. Basuna was excellent in goal for Saints. So this little mini revival in the league is coming at the right time for them. But despite the fact that they currently sit 12th in the league, we know they're better than that. And they've got really good players. Like I, I really like what they did in the summer. They brought in Naif Egard, the centre-back from Rennes. He's been injured, so he's missed most of the games so far pretty much all the games so far, but he'll be back soon enough. They made the Areola deal permanent. I, I don't understand why he's not first choice. He's s- s- several levels above Fabianski. Flynn Downs from Swansea looks like one of the bargains of the summer. He's been excellent for them in their Europa League campaign. They brought in Max Cornet, who'd done fairly well for Burnley last season and looks a good player in their system. Tilo Carrera, we've talked about him before. Neither of us are hugely keen on him, but he has done fairly well for them. Emerson Palmieri, I know I'm not keen. I'm not sure on your view on him, but he's done okay. But the two big ones they brought in that I think surprised everybody that, that West Ham were able to land them. Gianluca Scamacca, or Scamacca from Sassuolo, an outstanding centre forward. And I'm, I, I love the guy. And Lucas Paqueta from... Leon, who was linked to Arsenal, linked to United, linked to us, linked to Chelsea, and somehow West Ham steal in and get him without seemingly any competition. It's a little bit like the Bruno Gomerich thing. It's almost like teams forget that these players are there. Um, West Ham signing those two means that with those two in Rice, they do have three players that are really, really good, and you could see playing for the top clubs as well as a whole bunch of other good players. Carl, this is a decent Yeah, it is. Um, I think it's quite interesting. The last few games have gone, or the last couple of games at least, have gone back to a, a back three again. Not sure if that's just because of availability, because they've um, been without Zuma again, and he was just sort of obviously starting to try and forge some sort of longer-term partnerships. But his guy alongside him has been interrupted constantly. It's been Dawson. It was obviously meant to be a good. It's been Kerr a couple of games so they went basically with numbers, um, I think, again, against Southampton. But even so, like you say, they should have won that game. They had so many chances. Skamaka nearly scored about four and ended up with none. Um, Pakita probably should have scored, I think. I think it's been a bit of a struggle for some of their players to 
have as good a start to this season as they have done over the last couple of years. Um, maybe that's just a case of, I don't know, either just tiredness or not quite on it at the start of the season, whatever it was. Obviously, some of these players mm. are players who were either championship or mid-table in the Premier League, and now they're trying to be regularly top six players. And the consistency you need for that kind of performance level is something that not all of them have shown in their career they can do yet. I'm thinking here of like Jared Bowen, yeah. obviously. Suchek, I didn't think, had a very good start to the season at all. Um, ben Johnson. Um, Johnson. Um, at fullback, I quite like him, but he's had yeah. to play centre-back a few times this season. And that's obviously, again, a little bit of a switch for him to to deal with at times. So some of them started slowly, but like you say, results much, much better uh, recently. I think that they look dangerous um, when they've been playing sort of a two up front in a couple of different shapes and sometimes it's one off one and sometimes it's two split strikers with Pacatelli a little bit deeper sometimes um, so very very varied in how they approach the game I think still it's a bit like West Ham have been over the last 18 months or so in that they're not one particular style they're not really direct, they're not counter-attacking only they're not only set pieces, they, they can kind of do everything, like they're fine if they have to sit in a deeper block yeah but they're also more than happy to keep sustained pressure on the team if they're able to. So I do like the balance that they have. Maybe lack a little bit of, I'm not sure, maybe dynamic play at times. I think in the final third, if the game gets a little bit slow, they don't have too many people to change the tempo of that, apart from if they bring on maybe Ted Ben Rama or someone like that. Um, but overall, I think that, again, these are still going to be a really, really difficult team to beat. Yeah, they are. I mean, I think what hurt them at the start of this season was was a lot of players just looked like they were still shattered from last season, a little bit like ourselves, where they had a very small squad last season, or at least a small squad that Moyes trusted. So you were seeing Rice and Suchek having to play every game in the league and in Europe as they went deep in the Europa League. And you mentioned Suchek, he has not played well this season. His compatriot, Sufal, he has not been good this season. Jared Bowen, until recent weeks, was was playing really poorly. And it, it just wasn't all clicking for them. But now that some of them are starting to find a bit of form, that Skamaka is settling in and they're, they're starting to adapt to him because obviously he's very different in his approach to playing up front than, say, Mikel Antonio is. And they've gotten so used to playing with Antonio and now they have this different option who can be almost like the hub of the team. You can play through him in a lot of ways because his link play and his hold-up play is very good. You mentioned he could have had four yesterday. Did you see the the improvised volley yes. with his knee? Really, really good. Like, just... I heard the commentary for it as well. So, and, uh, the, oh, he just failed to direct it. I thought that's literally the opposite of what's happened here. He's actually directed it really well. Yes. Yes. He, and, like, the ball... Like, we know he shoots with a lot of venom. The ball pings off his foot. But, like, when he need that ball, it was travelling towards that, goal. That meaty slab um, of thigh he has is, like, my my chest, my yeah. entire torso, basically. He's a big man. <laughs> now, you know I like Darwin. You know I love Darwin. And I think Darwin is going to be a star for us. But the way we're playing at the moment... There's a little part of me that wishes we'd gone for him because I think him and Mo would have been, as a two, playing a two, committed to every game, would have been ridiculous. Now, like I say, I think Darwin is going to be a star and I think the Darwin-Mo partnership will 
work in time. But I think for this season, uh, Skimaka might have been a better short-term bet. I'd actually love to see Skimaka and Darwin playing together. Uh, that is my kind of pet want at some point down the line. West Ham wanted something similar because they originally wanted Skimaka and Broya, but couldn't get Broya. Simeone takes over um, Inter and then he buys them both in about four years' time for a combined three hundred million. Well, I, I just wait till Simeone takes over from Klopp and brings Skimaka <laughs> with him to Liverpool. It's simple. Oh, um, <laughs> we'll be playing his football until then, so you might as well. Um, You're right, they've been playing a back three recently because of the injuries. Um, At the weekend, it was Johnson and Cresswell either side of Carrere. There's a lot of pace in that back line with Johnson and Carrere, but there is errors in that back line. And if they go with something similar against us, that's definitely something that we can look to expose. Uh, Emerson, Palmieri and Vladimir Sufal probably both more suited as wingbacks than wingers, than fullbacks. Both of them do lack a little bit defensively at times. They get caught ahead of the ball and don't always get back. Now, I think they're hoping to have Zuma back for the game against us. So if he's back, he starts. Dawson, again, they're hoping to have back. So he'll probably be back. Agard's a few weeks away. Um, they're really excited to get him back. And it may well be that a back three is the plan with Carrere, Zuma and Agard as a back three. And if it is... I could see that working really well if they sort out the wing-backs properly. In midfield, it's Rice and it's Suchek, and it will likely be Rice and Suchek unless he goes with Flynn Downs. And then Paqueta, Bowen, and Skimaka up front, Sufal and, and Palmieri as wing-backs. Um, they do have the option of Paolo Fernals, who's a very good player. They have the option of Ben Rama, who's a good player. They do have some options, not not a ton of them. And then obviously there's the, the Mikel Antonio option where if they just want to change things up, they could play him up top and look to be a bit more of a counter-attacking thre- uh, threat, which is what they've done against us in the past. Um, but I don't really want to focus too much on them. I want to focus on us because coming off the City game, we've seen this four four two now a number of times. We went to it in the Everton game and the Napoli game and there was another game we went to it sort of in-game. And now we've started with with it three games in a row, and then four games in a row, four games in a row, and I'm really hoping it continues. So Allison will be in goal, Robbo will be left back, Virgil and Joe will be the centre-backs because we're not expecting Ibu to be risked in this game. I think if he's back, he'll be on the bench and then back maybe for Forrest. I think James Milner warrants starting at right back again because it was a really good performance. And I wouldn't worry as much about either Lucas Paqueta drifting on to him because he doesn't have great pace or Emerson Palmieri from left wing back hurting him too much. So I'd give Milner the game again. What would you do in the back? Uh, A little bit tough to know where Trent is in terms of full fitness I suppose because it was a bit of a surprise to see him back on the bench at all and then he only had like a couple of minutes anyway so assuming he is not fully fully fit then yeah I'm happy to stick with Milner um, he hasn't had loads of football immediately before the Man City game so I'm assuming that you know he'll just be sat down in his comfy old man chair drinking lots and lots of Ribena for, for the next three days or so 
between fixtures, so we should be good to go again. Um, and you know, maybe then we bring Trent on for a period of the second half. Rebuild him a little bit that way. I don't think Trent would need any rebuilding really. It's just about managing the injury itself because you know he's he's played loads and he's not out for ages or anything like that. So it's not about a gradual build up for him. Mm. It's just about making sure he is fully over the injury. So if he's absolutely fine to play, I don't have an issue in playing him and use Milner off the bench and protect someone later on. But oh, I, I want to play Trent. I just don't. Want okay, to play him right <laughs> okay. I won't be playing him in midfield, so I'm happy to have either Milner or Trent at right back if he is absolutely fully fit. Well, I'd go Milner at right back and I'd go Trent right side of midfield. I'd play Trent, Fab, Thiago and Carvalho as my midfield four. Because when Ibu comes back, I want to see Gomez at right back and Trent right side of midfield. I want us to be better defensively and taking Trent out of the firing line a little bit is one way to do that. And I also think that if Trent plays that right side of midfield, Warnick could unlock different things in his game, could make him an even bigger creative outlet. He'll still play in the exact same areas of the pitch that he's always played in for us. It's just that instead of having Jordan Henderson running around doing whatever it is Jordan Henderson is doing, there's a purposeful person on the pitch playing it right back and giving us a solid base to build off. So I would do that. Um, And then I'd start Mo and Bobby up front again. So the changes I'd make would be Trent in for Harvey, purely because Harvey did got through so much work in that game. I'd rest him with Forrest uh, at the weekend and Carvalho in for Jota because Jota's injured. And I would keep the rest exactly the same. And I would try and build off what we did. Because we shouldn't think that just because that's City out of the no, way, this becomes all. easy now. West Ham are a good team and they're going to be a threat. So I also think the other part of this is in that right side midfield role, we saw from Harvey Elliott a level of discipline we've never seen from him before. And I do wonder if Trent is put into that same sort of defensive box of you need to do these things. And if you don't do them, you're not going to be in the team. Like We saw Trent have one dodgy moment when he came on uh, yesterday and after the final whistle Virgil went and lit on him flitted him because he hadn't done his job and he'd almost cost us and that was unacceptable and I want to see Trent held a little bit more accountable and I think having Milner behind him barking at him having Virgil roaring across at him <clears throat> and having to do a specific job in this case that right wing that left wing back he is going to be your responsibility because he's coming through you and James is going to be behind you and he'll pick up anything that gets through but he is your primary responsibility i'd like to see trent given that task shut down palmieri when they have the ball and then do your thing when we have the ball you're playing in the exact same regions you're playing the right side of midfield where you've always drifted into. You're going to get high and wide on the right where you've always gone yourself. Nothing changes on the ball, off the ball. You're responsible for him, but you do have somebody behind you. I would bet that at different times over the last couple of years, 
Trent has gone to the manager and says, I'm getting no support here. Now it's a chance for Trent to show that he can give support to someone else in that role. And again, the biggest reason is I want to see, I want to see Joe Gomez play that right back role with Trent in front of him and Ibu Virgil as a centre back pairing plus Robbo. I want to see what that looks like as a four plus Trent right side because it would give us so much flexibility. There's a ready made back three there in game with Trent and Robbo as wing backs and three centre backs plus the double pivot. And we know what the Fords can do. We need to be a bit more varied in how we approach things. And I genuinely think that, like, when Trent was in the academy, he played a lot of his football right side of midfield, and everybody thought he was the next Beckham. Then Linders got him and made him a six. People tried the same thing with Beckham. It didn't work. Klopp moved him to right back. But I want to see what he can do in that right-sided role. I, I think it's worth trying it, especially given Milner's just had a good game. and. Joey Gomez is in really good form. So when Ibu comes back, you're not binning Joe straight out of the team. You're saying to him, right, make that right back position your own. It's there to be won. You play well enough there. You're the right back and Calvin Ramsey's your backup. And Trent is in front of you. And that's our right side moving forward. And it solves an awful lot of problems for us as well. Yeah, do you know, I'm not going to argue against any of it, to be honest. Um, I think that there's aspects of the build-up play that are going to suffer from having a Trent instead of an Elliot there, to be honest, or an Elliot or a Salah because it's left foot and playing in field and we do such a lot of our uh, one-touch getting out of tight spots by having someone who can play inside in that way. So it will be a little bit different, but obviously Trent in turn gives you a lot of different kind of delivery that Elliot does from that sort of seven-and-a-half role, let's say. Um, well. Trent probably gets two goals from the chances Elliot got yesterday because Harvey was so hesitant to go mm. on to his right foot. The one in the first half, like if that's Trent, when that ball gets to him, it's one touch out of the feet and a shot. Whereas Harvey wants to get on to that. He was so good yesterday. That's so just not a criticism player. of him, but he wants to get on to that foot. Exactly. Like, and I think that's the thing. It's, it's not dropping Harvey. I don't want anyone to think I'm suggesting we drop Harvey. I'm just saying. He got through so much work yesterday. And like the second half against Rangers and and the game yesterday, I, I don't want to hear about Harvey from last season. This is the best version of Harvey as a right-sided player in a midfield four because it's a natural role for him. It's what he has done as a young player. He's not a central midfielder. And Klopp sticking in there, is not going to make him a centre midfielder any more than Klopp sticking feathers up his arse won't make him a chicken. He is a winger. Make him play as a let him play as a winger. If he's going to be in the team, use him in wide areas. He's so much more comfortable, and the defensive side is so much easier for him because he knows exactly what he wants to do. And he's got that fullback. Yesterday it was Milner. If he's used on the left, it'll be Robbo. Just chatting him through the game, letting him know, drop five yards, shift in field, press on him, whatever it is. Having someone like that who's vocal behind him, big bit. And I think probably an element of the uh, confidence rebuild as well. Like, I doubt that Trent is hugely affected by it all, but it would be normal if he did have a, at least, you know, fleeting moments if anything happened. Oh, fuck's sake, now I'm going to get it again, that sort of thing. It's it's quite normal. So maybe a confidence rebuilder is not the worst way to go. Um, but either way, 
Whoever we play there, to be honest, this is still a very, very difficult game because West Ham are just a pain in the ass. I always find them one of the most difficult teams to play now over the last like two and a half years. I think since we had that big away win against them, they've always been very, very difficult to break down, very, very difficult to keep out mm. really good set pieces. So off the ball, whoever is anywhere, they yeah. have to be just as strong and switched on as we were against City. That, Like you said at the beginning of this show, now this is the base blueprint that we have to perform to off the ball every game. Yeah. Like, you're, you're so right. You look at West Ham over the last couple of years, the improvement is, is staggering. Like, from where they were when Moyes came back to where they were at the end of last season, that's two different football clubs. And now we've seen in the summer they've gone out, they've spent big, they've brought in players that, when Moyes arrived, would have been above the level that they could have gotten. I know they had brought in Felipe Anderson and, and Pablo Fernals and that, but Skimaka had... PSG wanted to sign him. Paqueta had all the top clubs looking at him. This is a different West Ham, but I, I just think back to last season when we played them at their place. And I remember watching their defensive line. When I rewatched the game, I watched their defensive line over and over again. And I was watching, watching how they press. And they don't press the way we press. Like, Gags and, and Dan and the other Dan and, and Br- Cy Brundish, they might not even count what West Ham do as, as pressing actions because they're not pressing to win the ball at any point. They're just pressing to shove you back two, three yards at a time and then every everybody moves up. So West Ham were able to go from defending their own six-yard box to defending their 18-yard box. And next thing, they're five yards outside the defense, their 18-yard box. I'm just talking about the defensive line. And then they're five yards further forward again. And they're just pushing you back in little small increments. They're not committing. They're not giving you an opportunity to play through that press because they're st- keeping it really compact. They're just shoving you back step by step by step. And all of a sudden, you find that you've gone from playing in their half to now your centre-backs are knocking it about in front of your goalkeeper. You don't really know how this has happened. They haven't done anything drastic. They've just very calmly and controlled pushed you back up the pitch. And Moyes, there's probably a ceiling on what Moyes is capable of achieving with a team. Like, I, I think you could give Moyes the City team. I think he'd finish second or maybe third. I think you give him our team that walked the league. I don't think he wins the league because I just don't think he has that elite trait about him as a manager. But I certainly think outside of the elite managers in the league, your Pep, Klopp, Conte, in the next group, David Moyes stands to any of them. He doesn't have the the silverware, obviously. We've, we've mocked him endlessly for that. But he can stand to any of them, to Ten Hag, to Arteta, to Rodgers, to whoever you want. And he can match up with pretty much any of them, both as a tactician and as somebody who improves players by finding ways to get the system to suit them rather than trying to change things too much. He just makes little tweaks here and there. We're seeing it with Skimak at the minute. Little tweaks to the system. One extra pass, and next thing the ball is coming to him from a slightly different angle than it would have gone to Antonio. So it's more of a cross than a ball over the top. And I think he's he's really good at that. And he, I, I do like beating him, though. I've always liked 
beating David Moyes because he has one of those faces where he wears defeats. Like you can see, if you look at his face really closely, you can see every little defeat that he's ever had. The big blemishes there, his tenures at United and Sunderland and Real Sociedad, obviously. But um, I like Moyes as a manager. I, I, I think there's a ceiling on what he can do, but I, I do think he's done exceptional work with this West Ham team over the last couple of years. Yeah, for sure. I think the fact that we're looking at them and the position that they are and the points that they've got and saying that that's not a good start to the season pretty much sums that up because they were on the verge of going down like a couple of years in a row. So like you said, it's a completely different side now to, to how they were. And uh, considering that during that period, they have still been messing about at different times with you know a particular big sign that they won or a particular hierarchy that they're mm. trying to put in place and all the other things that go off behind the behind the um you know the actual yeah they're still yeah. still owned by yeah, it's, Gold it's, it's, it's a massive massive turnaround that he has overseen and obviously had a, a huge hand in making it happen on the pitch so consistently right give me your 11 then for this game your star i know what i think jürgen's doing Give me both at the same time. What would you do and then any changes you think yeah, you'll make along the way? I would stick with the back four that we had, plus Ali, obviously. I think Trent will start right back. Um, in midfield, I stick with Fabinho and Thiago. And I think Klopp will as well. I'm with you. I think Carvalho comes in for this one on the left. I think that we stick with Firmino and Salah start in the match. I think Jürgen will do the same. So that just leaves the right side. Again, I'm still hesitant to play Elliot and Carvalho at the same time at the minute. So, mm. would would you consider Curtis well, Jones like on said, the right? It completely depends on where he is. Um, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, if where he is, obviously. Yeah. Honestly, if he's able to do 45 minutes, I would start him and take him off at halftime because it doesn't count as a, a sub break, and we've got the extra yeah. one. So I would absolutely do that if they if the you know the fitness guys and the scientists guys and the physios and everyone says he can play 45. I would. I would start him um, because I know that off the ball he's going to do exactly what you need him to do. He's going to be ball, really good. No way of knowing. He could be perfectly fine or he could be dead rusty because he's obviously not had enough game time or that, but I would definitely go with him. He's he's the type of player I would put in this system and know he's going to give you a Steve Finnan outing, that kind of thing. So I would, but I don't think he will, obviously. It's a, it's a little bit much to ask. So maybe we still see Elliot start and not play too much of the game. Um, but... I'm happy to go with your one. I'm happy to go Milner right back and Trent ahead of him. There's just something about Trent on the right of midfield and maybe having Curtis as kind of the primary backup and that just having that be a, a right-footed player who plays narrow in that midfield, can tuck in, can drop a bit deeper and you get more of your sort of explosive output in, t- in terms of ball carrying from the left side. I do think it's inevitable um, we'll see it at some stage, that, whether it's an in-game change or whatever, just because of the numbers that we have at the yeah. moment. Yeah, like obviously, like you've mentioned it in the, in the chat there, like Trent did come on primarily right side of midfield, but it was, it was very much a, a flat back six for the, <laughs> the last couple of minutes with uh, Trent, Milner, two centre-backs, Robbo and Costas just strung across the pitch. Um, it was uh, Sean Dyche was was smiling somewhere. That's what what I know. Um, right, predictions. <laughs> I will go first. I am going to say a three-one win for West Ham. I'm going with five-two. 
Yes, <laughs> that's what I love to hear. <laughs> um, yeah, and we'll just leave it at that. There's no, well, that's, there are our predictions and they will remain my prediction. That will remain my prediction as long as we keep winning. I will pick against us because uh, as anyone that listens, listens to Two Footed knows, I suck at predictions. And if I can reverse jinx us all the way into top four, I will gladly do that. But you know what, Carl, just before we go, because I know you have to finish up. Yesterday gave me real hope for this season that we could play that brand of football mm-hmm. in the European Cup after Christmas. There's not a lot different to, to what we did there. Obviously, because- it was a, a bit extreme. But there's not a lot of difference to what we did against Man City to what Real Madrid did against Barcelona. And Real Madrid are the side, the only side really no. who could beat us last season because of the way that they played. And, and what? And there wasn't a whole lot of difference in what we digested, what Real Madrid mm-hmm. did to us in the final. Do you know? So I would, I would like to see us try and do that. If it takes a little bit of shithousery, we can do that. We have some shithouses in our team. Andy Robble, top of the pile. Um, yeah. I'm I'm all for it. One thing we didn't note, um Pep and Linders will be <laughs> the man in charge in the dugout on Wednesday, assuming Jurgen Klopp's red card is upheld, which I assume it will be. Slightly delayed while they have um, a, a, a personal hearing on it, basically. So he, he probably won't miss this possibly, game. Possibly not though. Oh that's okay though. That's could miss he could miss Forrest, maybe. Um I do think though. Before we go, the FA or the Premier League need to have a quick look into the fact that Pep Guardiola, first of all, entered the field of play, which should be an automatic yellow card. And secondly, later reacted to the referee going to check the screen in a manner that probably should have drawn a second yellow card. So he probably needs to be looked at. And then Bernardo Silva, after attempting to rugby tackle Mo Salah, kicked out at him and then threw an elbow into him. And that should probably be looked at as well. So I want you to get on to some of your big wig friends down there and uh, you get the campaign rolling on this one. <laughs> Have you got anything you want to plug before we go? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. See, yeah, big, yeah. I big do. DJ journalist. I do. I big do. not writing a thing. Roar after the match because you won't be on it. All right, then. Oh, that's just, that's cold. Oh, that's cold. Well, if we lose, if we lose any of the next couple of games having put together a little mini winning run while you've not been on. Pull down to me. The the match at Jinx will be back. Right, we'll leave it there. Thank you, as always, for listening. We will be back later in the week, hopefully after another win, to discuss Nottingham Forest and uh, all the joy that is Steve Cook at centre-back. See you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index oh and before you go we'd love it if you could leave us a five star review on your favourite podcast app it only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows Sports Social Podcast Network